Okay, here we go. And one, a two, a one, two. Welcome to Beyond the Expected, our podcast. In today's pandemic environment, we are witnessing un unimaginable uh, acts of community commitment and involvement, all of which indeed go well beyond expectations and any recent experience. I'm Stony Brook University Interim President Michael Bernstein, and I'm privileged today on our podcast to talk with two leaders at our university who are doing more than their fair share in leading uh, our commitment to our wider communities and in sharing important insights about what the new normal now looks like as we confront this pandemic, both here in New York and worldwide. Let me introduce our guests. First, Carol Gomes, the Chief Executive Officer and the Chief Operating Officer of Stony Brook University Hospital. Carol has more than three decades of experience in the healthcare field. She's the recipient of numerous prestigious healthcare industry awards. She has been leading uh, a remarkable team in the face of unprecedented challenges, and she is tackling those challenges with her team in remarkably innovative, creative, and novel ways. And so happy to have you on board, Carol. We'll be speaking with you in just a moment. And let me also welcome Dr. Josh Miller. Dr. Miller is the Assistant Dean for Clinical Integration and the Medical Director of, the, of Diabetes Care at Stony Brook University. He is a dual certified uh, internist in internal medicine and endocrinology and, and metabolism. Dr. Miller has been leading our operations at the newly opened uh, test site on the south side of our campus in our so-called P-Lot parking lot and uh, also overseeing the development of a triage unit there. We'll be talking about that uh, in a few minutes. Um, let me start with you, Carol. Um, you know, I think uh, as all of us are trying to digest uh, remarkable amounts of information each day, seemingly with each hour, about uh, uh, the impact of this pandemic, I think people are wondering uh, what's going on in the hospital. What does it look like inside the hospital? Maybe you can give us a, a, an initial overview of what it's like at the front lines for you and your teams. Absolutely. So the governor recently requested for all hospitals in New York State to develop a surge plan, which would require that our hospital would increase our capacity by 50%. Initially, the request was for 50%, but then subsequently, it was requested that we increase our capacity by 100%, which means that we had to increase our beds by well over 600, which is incredible. So when you ask what's happening on the front lines, I would have to say that everyone is laser focused, a lot of hustle and a lot of hard work to try to accomplish these goals. We will accomplish these goals, but um, there's a, a serious nature, but there's a focused nature. You know, it's, it's interesting. You just, you, you've given a vivid relief to this issue, just talking about a 100% increase, doubling the size of University That's Hospital right. in the context of we're hearing now that the the crest of this uh, pandemic wave here in, here in New York will experience that within the next three to four weeks. Um, you know, I know that when we do, quote, regular planning, uh, we might talk about, you know, single digit percentage increases in the hospital bed capacity over many years. That's correct. And here we are within a month talking about doubling the capacity. Um, so a, a simple question related to this. How do you and your teams go about starting to set the priorities? Obviously, this this pandemic, the emergency with which we're faced has changed all of our 
thinkings about uh, thinking about priorities, whether it's in the hospital or any other organization, how are you and your teams addressing the prioritization challenge, which must come up every hour of every day now? So, you know, at one point in time before this pandemic, we were focused on a myriad of issues and there were groups working together and separately to work towards certain goals. Now, everyone is committed to one focus mission. So first and foremost, it's about safety. So that's a high priority, priority and it's highly prioritized in the context of everything that we do every day, making sure that our staff is safe, making sure that the front lines are safe to care for these patients and making sure that the patients are safe. So that is our first and foremost priority. So many of our efforts are focused on making sure that that happens. The second piece of it uh, in terms of priority is increasing that surge because we know, as you mentioned before, that the apex of this pandemic storm is likely to occur within 14 to 21 days, which is what the governor said yesterday. They keep changing the date. Um, originally, the first call with the governor, um, there was discussion around a 40-day, 45-day apex, which would take us to May 1st. But now we're talking about two to three weeks, which means that's the amount of time we have to get this work done. So Everybody's very serious focused, so our priority is increasing the capacity, making sure we get the supplies that we need, making sure we get the ventilators that we need to care for these patients who often require intubation to ensure that we can take care of all of the patients who come our way. So, you know, the, the S's I'm hearing here, safety, the surge, supplies, staff, these yes. are all the things that are, are so paramount for us in the, in the clinical operations. Just dwell on the safety piece a little bit longer. Josh, maybe you can uh, also help us understand how physicians, nurses, uh, the technicians, literally on the front lines are addressing the safety issue. It must be a, a very difficult time for them right now. It's a great question. And I think if you are on social media and you listen to the various press releases, uh, healthcare workers are at the center of everyone's attention and safety is everyone's goal. I will say certainly at Stony Brook and speaking for my colleagues and echoing what, what Carol said, we are laser focused on making sure that our healthcare workers are safe and that our patients are safe. And not just the patients receiving care for COVID, but also the other patients that are still coming in to see care at Stony Brook Medicine. There's a lot of anxiety uh, amongst all of my colleagues here and at institutions elsewhere. But I will say that we all feel supported by the institution and we know that there are challenges to come and knowing that Carol and her team and the hundreds of people in leadership over there are working on keeping us safe, not just now, but a week from now, a month from now and beyond. That's reassuring. It allows us to keep doing that work. You know, it's interesting, Josh, you just uh, alluded to an important issue that I think gets lost sometimes in uh, all of the communications. Um, there are, quote unquote, regular patients in the hospital. There always are. I mean, this is hospitals are open 24-7, 365. Before this pandemic uh, uh, came into our community, um, you know, we have people with, quote, regular medical and surgical needs. So, again, I, I, I invite both of you to comment on this. Uh, what are the mechanisms by which the hospital leadership, the physician and nursing leadership will begin to address, you know, priorities for care where we have pressing emergency needs with respect to the pandemic and uh, patients who are gravely ill? And at the same time, we have the, if you will, the day-to-day -day needs of patients who have always been there and will always be there uh, long after we hope this pandemic is a, is a distant memory. 
We, we actually started to initiate huddles in the morning, getting a sense every morning as to our patient population, the COVID patients who are in our, our house, uh, those patients who are intubated, and others who are not COVID positive and what their needs are. And so we have medical professionals, our healthcare team, nurses, talking in the morning, developing game plans based upon the patient load and the census, and, and figuring this out day to day. And then also, um, again, looking more strategically, what will the next two or three days look like? And how do we plan ahead? How do we get the spaces ready sooner than later? How do we redeploy some of our staff? You know, you, you, you mentioned that uh, the services that we've provided previously are not in play. So um, just to be specific, we did have to cancel elective surgeries, which is pretty sure. much what's happening across the country. So uh, all of those individuals, the staff who were involved in caring for patients um, during elective procedures were basically pulled into a redeployment pool. And these staff are now used to take care of other patient populations. And, and Josh, same thing is happening with physicians and surgeons, right? So, and I think that's a really important point. There are the patients in the walls of the three hospitals that we represent. They're also the patients that uh, we care for through Stony Brook Medicine. So we have over 1,200 physicians in our health system. We provide care to patients from Nassau County all the way to the East End. And it's, it's been amazing to see the team of physicians and allied health professionals mobilized to make sure that no one falls through the cracks amidst the crisis. We're, we're at the forefront of mobilizing a telehealth initiative. So physicians and providers in the practices can engage with patients in a meaningful way that might not be able to do so in the offices. Um, we're realigning to address needs at all entry to the health system. And, and I think that's, that type of innovation, I, 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 I am very reassured by. I think we're in a good spot and we're very nimble and responding to the needs in that way. So, and I, I do want to uh, turn our attention to some of these wider community issues in just a moment, but just uh, to follow up on something both of you have addressed with the with the staff and the technicians and the nursing cadre and the physicians and surgeons. I mean, there's a human element here. Obviously, we think of the human element involving the patients, uh, but there's a human element involving all of you. And uh, I'm just wondering how you're seeing the morale in the hospital, how you, how you manage that. How do you manage their care in terms of their own uh, peace of mind, let alone, as we've just discussed, their own physical well-being? Well, I just wrote a CEO blog, um, basically thanking the team for stepping up in, in a really difficult time. But I can tell you, I walk in every morning. I see the resiliency of the team. I see people coming in wanting to do their part uh, because they understand that they're part of a greater um, good, part of a greater organization that is all serving to focus on the mission of taking care of patients. That's what they signed up for. That's what they're there to do. And they are so heavily committed. And I hear them talking amongst themselves. They talk about how proud they are to be part of the Stony Brook Medicine family and that they're serving patients in need. And uh, I just honestly couldn't be more proud. Um, I think there was one proud moment I, I had, and um, it didn't really have much to do with um, direct patient care, but it was about team members supporting other team members. And I walked in and I saw our facilities people putting plexiglass uh, barriers across the information desk to ensure that those people working behind the information desk were, were supported and safe. And the pride that they took in doing that um, 
really was so touching to me. It was just a, a brief glimpse, a brief moment, and I'll have all of these snapshots of these photos sure of will. people smiling and yeah. contributing. Oh, absolutely. Josh? Yeah, I, I'm amassing the same uh, album now, of yeah. snapshots of, of, of how people have, have risen to the occasion. And I think the word pride uh, and what we're doing in healthcare right now um, absolutely resonates. So at the, at the testing facility at PLOT, We've now tested over 3,500 patients in about a week uh, who have suspected COVID. Um, that, that operation is uh, in large part staffed by our clinicians, many of whom have been redeployed from other service lines. And we have a group of OR nurses and techs that are helping to run that. And um, their first time in the tent, uh, their first shift, as it were, in the tent, um, swabbing for the virus, when they came out, first team and doffed their PPE and taken off their equipment and washed their hands. Um, there was applause. Uh, wow. There was, there was cheering and everyone looked to see what it was. They were, they were, they were congratulating each other. The first, the first wave, the first wave, the first exactly. wave. Um, uh, why don't you just take a moment to tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about the test site. You, you and a whole team stood up that test site in record times. One of the first test sites to go up in our state. So why don't you why don't you tell our viewers and listeners about that project? Sure. What was involved? Um, so everyone knows in fighting this pandemic, uh, identifying people with the virus is is paramount. We need to know where patients are and need to um, track them, especially. Um, this endeavor is perfect example of partnership partnership between an academic medical center, Stony Brook Medicine community, and a plethora of uh, state and government agencies: New York State Department of Health, DEC local, state, county um, groups, all descending on PLOT. Um, we set up this massive uh, uh, tent facility. It's a drive-through facility to start um, that allows individuals in the community after being sent by the Department of Health uh, through that 888 number uh, to come through and get tested for the virus. Um, it is seamless. It is operating with safety uh, as a number one priority. And we're seeing a high volume of patients. The mission has actually changed a little bit. And Carol alluded to this earlier in terms of how we're rethinking how to serve the needs of the, of the health system. So um, we've now set up, with the help of Dr. Eric Morley and the operations team we have, Allison Rowe and others, um, a forward emergency room, uh, a triage tent, um, on PLOT, where patients who may not need to come into the hospital or may not need to come into the main emergency department can be cared for there and, and, and evaluated So you can there. sort them. You can exactly. sort them who exactly. needs what kind of care. And what that's allowed Carol's team to do then is to use uh, the infrastructure on the main campus of the hospital for more acute uh, patients, for, for sicker patients. Um, it was ingenious. We, we came up at, uh, with the idea with the, the folks and our partners from the state over the course of a day and with Carol's help and support and the support of her team Within two days, we had a mobile ER set up in Pilot, and they're seeing patients now. They're on their second day. Um, that operation, I think, has caught a lot of attention because it is um, visually what people see as the, the front uh, of this battle. Um, and the staff there uh, gets it. The community gets it. It's a pretty amazing so, operation. I mean, you've, you've pointed to something uh, very important in addition to all the work you and the whole team have done to stand this thing up, as I say, in record time. Uh, and to uh, you know, provide the testing to the community, and now the triage, the triage and screening services to the community. 
um, you were really able to connect with community partners, political leadership, community leadership, neighbors, uh, and just uh, general uh, general partners overall across all the communities we serve to get this thing up and running. So it's a, it's interesting how uh, this adversity, you know, this emergency has focused everybody in a way that you're able to make agreements with the local community that you know, in quote normal times, we would spend months talking about and probably never quite quite conclude. Yeah, and everyone is focused on the mission there, and we have members of the community eager to help. Uh, uh, one of the local school district superintendents called me, seeing if they can help uh, 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 provide supplies and support. Right. In record time, people are coming together to see that operation and really what we're doing broadly on a health system through to success. That. Yeah. I, I want to uh, I, I want to um, engage both of you in a in a broader discussion about this community response. I I will note just following on your your comments, Josh, about the what's going on in the P lot. Um, one family in the community, the Della Pietra family, came forward. You know, within days of this of this emergency uh, descending upon us, and issued a challenge to the community. They they issued what's uh, called a, a challenge match. They've offered up to $500,000 in matching funds uh, to support the general operations of the hospital and of Stony Brook Medicine. Every dollar donated by others, they will match uh, up to half a million dollars. And um, this has already brought responses from over 650 community members. This wow. is in less than a week. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I want to note that as another example of community response to enable all of you, the the professionals in the area, in the healthcare field, to, to do what you must do in this crisis. And uh, I'll just put a shout out there to the Della Pietra family and also to the community at large uh, to encourage you, if you can, to uh, match up to this challenge from the Della Pietras and help our, help our colleagues in the hospital and clinics. Um, you mentioned supplies, Josh, so I wanna, I wanna engage both of you on this, what the community has been doing with respect to you know, the unparalleled needs we have for equipment, for protective supplies, so-called PPE, the personal protective equipment that the practitioners need to wear, uh, face shields, uh, uh, you know, gloves, masks, et cetera. So maybe, Carol, you want to um, say a few words about how the community has stepped up in that area. Sure. Uh, you know, so clearly there are shortages internationally for PPE, whether it's gloves, gowns, swabs, media, um, face shields, face masks, and especially ventilators. So we are so fortunate to be part of the university family because we have to, at our disposal access to the best and brightest minds in the country. We have innovators. We have researchers. Um, we have thought-provoking people who come up with these incredible ideas, and including those from our healthcare team. And we're also learning uh, through our colleagues from Italy and China in terms of some of the, the helpful tricks that they've um, learned along the way. So we've been able to partner with um, the IT department at Stony Brook University. Dr. Uh, Charles, Charlie McMahon has helped us to uh, create face shields using 3D printers. And to get that groundswell going, going, which is what you were talking about with the community, it was uh, just, amazing. Uh, just, uh, Charlie yeah. McMahon's our chief technology officer. Oh, sorry, yeah, yes. no, no, no uh, <laughs> for our for our listeners sure. and viewers, um, he uh, you know mobilized some faculty and students. I think they're making uh, 40, 45 of these face shields sure. now a day yes. Yes. with a 3D printer. Maybe they'll expand the capacity. It was remarkable. I mean, it like happened yeah. overnight. John. And, and I mean, right. So I watched the video this morning earlier in our trailer um, of the the 3D printer going and like. <laughs> 
people are in awe of that and they think it's so <laughs> awesome and they think it's so awesome that there are people on different parts of the university that are focused on providing them that yes. support. That I saw that video, that was great. So yeah. the work that they're doing there, I thank you. And I just, uh, yes, I mean, a big, big, uh, a big thank you to Charlie McMahon yes. and his IT team and also to uh, the College of Engineering and Applied Sciences, uh, you know, the students and the faculty there, what they've done. Uh, the Department of Chemistry, I learned this morning, the yes. Department of Chemistry is making hand sanitizer, yeah. uh, uh, which of course we desperately need. Yeah. Uh, um, and that, that's a marvelous thing. And I, you know, I don't mean to be cavalier about this, but it's probably worth noting um, for those of us who live in academic environments all year round, we're familiar with this. You know, sometimes it's it's impossible to get faculty to agree. You know, what time it is, let alone to band together quickly to get something remarkable done. But here we are in a dramatic uh, community-wide emergency. No time for arguments. No time for fussing around. Uh, on the contrary, and people have just come together and said, we're going to get this done. We're going to make the hand sanitizer. We're going to make the face shields. We're going to figure out new technology arrangements. That's right. We've we've learned more about video meetings and, you know, uh, ways of communicating at a distance than, we, than we've than we done in the past 10 years, I'm sure. And we've done it all within a week or two. It's... It, it's quite amazing. I just also wanted to mention, too, the amplification of the community, because as soon as those in the community heard about this 3D printing, mm -hmm. I received an email from the Suffolk County Library um, Cooperative, and they basically said, we have 30 3D printers. Would you like them? And so connecting them to Judy Griman, who's your, your chief deputy, we were able to obtain more resources to be able to print more. Indeed, indeed. we've had uh, we've had many organizations in the community come forward. They've discovered supplies they didn't know they had, you know, boxes of masks that maybe were stockpiled from an issue or an event decades ago. So, like, oh, we have these materials. Let's get them to the hospital and to the clinics for, for their work. One of my we're close extremely friends, grateful, too. One of my close friends put a box, an unopened box of exam gloves in my mailbox the other day. I mean, <laughs> people are rising to the occasion. Yes, yeah. yes, I, I, I think that's right. Um, what about, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, uh, innovative solutions uh, outside the hospital. I'm sure both of you are witnessing innovative solutions like every hour within the hospital, within the clinics, within the test site, the triage unit you're running, Josh. So if you have any examples to share, I'm sure our viewers and listeners would be eager to, to my, learn about them. My, my favorite one is um, utilizing extension tubing for IV poles. Um, so in the wake of the fact that we do not have um, uh, an ample supply of PPE, we're trying to come up with conservation ideas. So we have a conservation team who is, again, laser focused on identifying processes to reduce the use of PPE. So we have these extension, core, extension tubes that basically are connected to the patient, run under the patient's doorway, through the door, and the IV pole is outside of the room as opposed uh -huh. to inside of the room. So the Folks who are taking care of those patients do not necessarily have to don and doff every every time. So we're saving PPE, and they can still safely monitor the patient. But I just thought that that was incredible. So when we sent the link to some of our supply chain folks and our nursing folks, they they pulled together one example, and then the next thing you know, I had a photo. This I guess it was a day or two ago of an entire unit that had the extension tubes with the. IV poles outside. So literally in that case, someone wouldn't have to don any protective gear to go check and refill, replace, renew the, the IVs, right. right? Because the, the door is closed. Door is closed, yeah. patient's secure. Right. Uh, remarkable, remarkable. I think the other innovation that we're seeing is adapting processes that were used for something else and deploying them for COVID. So as I mentioned earlier, we have OR nurses 
working on site in Pilot, we had come up with a protocol for the drive-through testing. So when an individual needs to be tested, they drive into our tent, they briefly roll down their window, and they get, they get their nasal swab, and then they uh, then they drive away. Well, OR nurses are probably some of the most uh, highly regulated individuals in healthcare in terms of sterility and operation uh, OR room uh, uh, protocol. They had a little bit of a different take on how to do the swab technique and how to bring patients in safely and how to keep staff safely. And they adapted it and went with it. And now the guardsmen, the, the uh, National Guard that's helping us and the medics that are there as well are adopting our best practices. What may have worked well in the OR is now working in a tent in Pilot on campus. It, it's fascinating, that, that innovation. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I could shift the focus for a minute. Um, just curious about... The educational mission, obviously, um, you know, you, Josh, are training physicians to be and current physicians, so-called residents, you know, on a regular basis. Be curious how, uh, what impacts you're initially seeing now with respect to the educational mission, uh, with respect to the training of new doctors. And Carol, of course, you, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing this across the entire hospital organization, nurse trainees, technician trainees, staff trainees, and, and physicians and surgeons as well. So I'm curious what you're seeing there. I mean, it, there's been a massive paradigm shift, right, from what uh, our students and trainees expected out of the rest of the semester and what uh, <laughs> what the, they're getting what now. they're getting <laughs> yeah, right, right. what they're getting. Um, and so people are innovating and thinking outside the box. You know, in, in uh, our, our um, medical students matched last week through the NRMP, the national match. And that, so this is how medical students get assigned to residencies, to residencies all exactly. across the country. And I, I'll never forget my match. Most physicians don't. It, it's a joyous occasion. Um, our folks uh, in the medical school in GME organized a virtual match day. Um, Dr. Chandran, uh, our dean for medical education, is overseeing the um, redeployment of uh, our students and our trainees so that we ensure that they still have a meaningful educational experience um, here on campus, um, keeping them safe but making sure that their educational mission and our goals are fulfilled. Um, and so on the telehealth front, uh, bringing students along and trainees along in that process. And as the institution, the organization innovates, helping our students and trainees to appreciate that as well. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's hard to be an educator right now. It's even harder, I'm sure, to be a trainee or a student. And we will all, in fact, have our COVID and post-COVID uh, memories to think back on. But in the same way that each of our staff and clinicians have risen to the occasion, I get emails daily from students and mentees and, and, and trainees, how can we help? How can we help? How can we help? You know, your point about the COVID-19 the COVID pandemic, I mean, it's BC and AC, it's before COVID and after, after COVID, and we'll be reflecting on that for generations to come, certainly. Um, you mentioned telemedicine, and you know, we might talk about that for a minute, um, because everything's becoming tele. <laughs> we're, we're tele-everything. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, we have major administrative team meetings now at the university, just did earlier this morning. Uh, Carol participated in that meeting. You know, we're bringing in 30 people, you know, all at once in video. And now you're doing this with patients and also with students and trainees. And, I, I'm, you know, uh, what what's striking is that presumably this will change the way you practice medicine forever, uh, you know, even after this pandemic is... is uh, is ended. You know, th thus far we've talked uh, within healthcare of advancing telemedicine to um, really serve the needs of the iPhone generation, right, and social media. Um, thus far, there have been a number of obstacles to seeing that goal. 
amidst this crisis, we found federal and state government has been willing to move with us on this journey to um, allow the regulatory changes that need to happen to provide telehealth, to credential physicians to provide telehealth and telemedicine. Um, and so our credentialing folks uh, at the hospital and health system credentialed uh, hundreds of physicians on the order of, I think, a week um, to be able to provide uh, telemedicine and to be Additional telehealth providers. Right. Um, we're starting with primary care physicians and specialists, et cetera. So 100%, I will be using telemedicine years from now as a result of uh, where we are now with COVID. Yeah, I, I would, I, I would, uh, you know, follow up on your on your observation, Josh. I know from the perspective of uh, the university administration, the efforts by the state of New York and by the medical examiners of the state and and the licensing authorities to really uh, make more efficient and more agile the credentialing of physicians and surgeons for whether it's for telemedicine or special privileges at our hospital it's it's been dramatic some normally these things you know move at uh, move at the speed of sludge and now they're moving literally at the speed of light in our computers and it's 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 very gratifying uh, it's very gratifying to see so let's uh, let's pivot here to uh, talking about hospital capacity going back to an observation Carol made at the beginning of our conversation about doubling hospital capacity, we do have the Army Corps of Engineers and uh, officials from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency uh, on the campus, taking a look at facilities and at venues and so forth, possibly looking to um, construct field hospitals and other and other venues for uh, expanded mechanisms of care. And I was wondering, you know, to what extent you've been already engaged with these authorities in conversation and planning for, as you called it, Carol, the, the surge that's already upon us, actually. It's not coming, it's here. So I know that there have been discussions over the last two or three days in terms of the planning process. I think at this point in time, they're focused on the, the appropriate site and what the needs are for the site. And as the planning progresses, we'll begin to talk about the medical needs of the community and how we will be able to triage and understand which patients would be directed to the field hospital to which facilities right. versus right. our forward triage versus our ED. Um, so that will all be sorted out as we plan forward. Yeah, it's, you know, again, I can't emphasize enough. I've said this repeatedly in other meetings that expanding these facilities is, is also uh, an effort to allow you, the hospital leadership, to determine which patients go where. As I said, there are the quote unquote normal patients. And then there's the surge, you know, related to this to this pandemic. So expanding the facilities is not solely for the pandemic. It's actually give you more flexibility and where you're putting patients for what, for what kinds of care. So you can focus on those, you know, gravely ill patients, uh, to maximum effect, to maximum effect in the hospital. Um, uh, mental health. We're talking a lot about the virus <laughs> and infectious disease. Of course, that's vivid in our minds because this is, a. This is a pandemic, but uh, um, we'd be foolish not to acknowledge that there are some considerable mental health impacts that uh, that this emergency is having. And I'm, again, I'm wondering from your perspectives, both in triage and screening, Josh and um, Carol with the hospital team, what plans you have in place, what you're hearing from the community, how you're trying to address that side of this pandemic too. Yeah, so uh, a few hours ago, Governor Cuomo had uh, his daily press conference and it was reassuring to hear him discuss not just the tens of thousands of physicians, nurse practitioners, and other healthcare providers that have uh, offered to volunteer, but also the thousands of mental health professionals that have um, risen to the occasion to provide mental health support, not just for patients, but for our providers. Right. 
Um, here at Stony Brook, I've seen uh, a rapid mobilization of resources for all members of the care team such that everyone feels supported. Um, tapping out when a nurse needs to tap out. Um, physicians calling me up asking, would you like some help? Um, people looking out for one another. But institutionally, the organization has resources in place to support our staff. And I think that's so very important. And the messaging that's come out to the frontline clinicians is if you need help, if you support, if you need support, talk with your supervisor. We can find you what you need. I think we, you know, I, I think we saw this. I mean, you think back to the 9-11 the catastrophe or uh, I think about the Katrina catastrophe in New Orleans uh, uh, I lived in New Orleans for a decade after the Katrina catastrophe. And, you know, the mental health needs of the first responders is just as powerful an issue as obviously the mental health needs of the, of the so-called victims, you know, of a particular event. So I, I know that this is something very much on our minds. Carol, what's going on in the hospital well, in this we, regard? We have added resources for our team. We have virtual support groups. Obviously, we can't meet together in one room unless we're six feet apart, but uh, we do have virtual support groups and there are resources available. We've been sending and sharing that information with our team, uh, meditation moments, uh, whatever we can do to support them, to let them know that we're here for them. Uh, we understand this is a difficult time and there is help if needed. And and going forward, once Again, we're talking about post-COVID. Right. Uh, we'll have additional resources as well. Right. It's, you know, uh, we're mentioning about the social distancing. I do want to say uh, to those who are listening, our viewers can see, we are more than six feet apart here. We uh, certainly uh, in are. Our conversation. <laughs> Not normally the case in a podcast. Usually That's we're very chummy, chummy together around a table. Uh, we're observing the protocols too. And there is a, I think, I reflect on there's a bit of an irony here because in in many episodes of of challenge catastrophe tragedy you know I've referred to 9/11 I've referred to Katrina um, the tendency human beings want to come together literally come together and be in groups and you know families want to come together uh, and ride things out as a group and here we're being told well actually you can't do that you have to maintain your distance and I think that's another aspect of this emergency that is really pressuring us in unique ways. Um, Maybe I can uh, just, go ahead. because we really okay. haven't focused on patients too much, and I just wanted to mention that we're doing everything we can to support patients as well. During they're, trying they're separated to, from their loved ones, that's right? That's right. They're yeah. separated from their loved ones. One of the first acts that we had was to uh, change our visitor policy and and basically state, you know, make a firm commitment that there will be no visitors so that we wouldn't um, spread that pandemic. So, with that, we're working with teams to provide iPads and send video messages so that they know that they have support from their families. So we're doing using technology and other ways to have the patients feel like they can connect to their families during difficult times. Yeah, and at the staff support. Um, you know, when we deployed our team to Pilot, uh, Dr. McGovern, our, our um, VP for Clinical Affairs, we were talking about all the logistics, the electrical, mm -hmm. the restrooms, and and she said, you better make sure they're fed. <laughs> and, and with that said, we have food for the staff. It, it, it's something as simple as, you know, uh, our, our team is feeling that support. And I think that's so vital. And I think our patients are feeling that support. We had a patient drive through uh, the test site within the first hour of opening last week. And you can't open up your windows. Um, he had written on a napkin, God bless you, and held it up throughout the entire way mm. uh, through, the, through the tent. And... That, that goes in my COVID album. 
I think the community recognizes that and they're reaching out to support each other and to support um, our, our staff as well. And I think that's really meaningful. What would both of you ask of the community going forward? Um, as we've, we've mentioned in the conversation, uh, you know, the epidemiological vectors suggest, you know, two to four weeks. Uh, this is obviously going to reach a crescendo, a very difficult and challenging crescendo. Uh, so anticipating that, I know night and day you're both thinking about that in, in your own leadership roles. What would you say to the wider communities? They've, they've obviously been actively involved. They're very supportive. They're coming up with incredibly innovative solutions uh, to help. Um, what would you say to them about the, the weeks ahead? We have to just prepare ourselves, which we're doing, very focused. Um, just stay focused and keep the social distancing. Do whatever you can to support the community. Thank a healthcare team member for what they're doing. Uh, and know that we're all in this together. And these are unprecedented times, but there have been unprecedented actions that you know, we never would have imagined would have happened. And without this pandemic, I don't know if we would have come up with such creative solutions, but um, with a very short period of time, but I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of our community, uh, incredibly proud of our Stony Brook medicine team. And I'm just incredibly proud to be part of this organization. And I'll, I rarely do this, but I will provide some unsolicited medical advice. Um, people are anxious and they're concerned and there's a lot of mixed messaging. Um, one, and Carol alluded to it, I would implore the community to heed advice to socially distance. Today's my mom's birthday, so happy birthday, mom. I'm not going <laughs> happy to birthday, see, mom. Happy birthday, mom. I'm not going <laughs> to see her today for good reason, and, right. and my folks know that. The second piece of it is the information. Um, and the, the, this crisis is very fluid, and as you alluded to earlier, updates almost hourly. Um, the Department of Health and the CDC provide the best information about how to stay safe, how to stay healthy, and how to... Uh, get through the next few weeks together. And I think being informed is, is probably one of the best resources and best tools to, to feel supported and, and to know that we are going to get through this together. Um, but please stay six feet apart, socially distance, stay home. It's so important and it's going to keep us uh, healthier. And it'll, it'll, it'll make a big difference. Huge difference. Um, you know, we, we've talked quite a bit um, in our conversation about your short-term goals, your short-term needs. Those are those are the most dramatic things on our minds, literally from hour to hour, uh, let alone day to day. But um, with the time we have left, maybe talk a little bit about the longer term. Um, I know it's, it's probably hard to envision at the moment uh, since we're still going up the slope here. We're not at the top of the slope and we're not looking down the other side of this yet. Uh, we all aspire to get there as quickly as possible. Um, but you know, we need to start thinking about that. What are the, what are the intermediate to longer term challenges you see from your different perspectives? Um, what do you think will happen to the community hospital, community Stony Brook medicine interface uh, in the longer term? I mean, I certainly have some thoughts about what this, what this does in the, with the university at large. Um, why don't we take a little longer term look as we, uh, as we begin to conclude our conversation. I'm curious what you see. I see greater integration and greater sharing within the community. Um, in terms of sustainability of the organization, I see um, a period where we have to focus on growth and rebuild. Uh, clearly, we've turned our healthcare system upside down, and so how do we 
go back to that normalcy. It will be difficult, but maybe we won't be back to normal. Maybe it will be a whole different world and we'll have to focus on what that new world will look like in healthcare. But um, most certainly, I see change and the focus on sustainability and the ability to rebuild. I mean, I am struck, you know, I think about some of the th lessons that you've mentioned that you're picking up in the hospital every day. So the, the IV example you gave, I mean, one could see that practice continuing quite independent mm -hmm. of this pandemic, that it's just a more efficient way to allocate time and uh, uh, staff and also, quite frankly, leave patients alone. You know, you're not going into their room all the time. You can, you can manage their care without necessarily uh, coming into their own personal environment all the time. I'd see those kind of things maybe enduring well beyond this. Absolutely. There are going to be so many lasting effects. Um, I mean, now that I know that the 3D lab, the, the innovation lab can make masks, I mean, think about the connections we have in our own academic community that can uh, uh, grow out of this challenge. Um, I will say that this is probably one of the first times in a long time that the entire world, certainly the local community, has been focused on healthcare and educators and the other folks uh, in our communities that serve these vital roles. And I would hope, in terms of our, our, our uh, university's interface with the community, that we can continue this growth together and we can continue that collaboration in supporting the health of our community. We serve the greater part of Long Island, and we have tens of thousands of patients who look to us for their care, their health and well-being. And the people that have come out of the woodwork and reached out to us to offer support and to ask us what we need to fulfill that mission, that's been the most meaningful to me. And to continue to grow on those relationships, I think, is going to help us through that uh, uh, after COVID uh, time frame and, and really continue that growth together. Well, I think, you know, we're witnessing this, you know, in all aspects of the um, of the interactions between the university and the community, the hospitals and the community, uh, Stony Brook Medicine itself, uh, the physician practice and the community. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with all the work you've done for years and years, just being good community partners. You know, it's you build the capacity to respond to emergencies by being good partners when there's not an emergency. Yep. If you're not good partners when there's not an emergency, you know, God forbid the emergency comes and you're not good partners. So I think there's there's been, at least to my eyes, looking at what all of you are doing uh, from outside, um, you know, you've built a lot of trust and commitment. Uh, on your side of the fence with the community now, that now in the midst of this emergency, the community is responding in, in, in very dramatic ways. You know, I want to touch on uh, something uh, Carol alluded to, um, hoping that we can get to the other side of this curve, as we like to say, as soon as possible. There will be a period of just recovery, of, of picking up the pieces, of repairing damage, which it ranges from everything, the human and you know, emotional damage of this of this tragedy to the economic and practical damage, um, let alone, for example, restoring a campus that maybe have a couple of field hospitals on it or, or a hospital that's had a lot of units moved around or, uh, and changed. So there's a, there's a period of recovery. Um, I do think inevitably in the wake of that, there's gonna be reconfiguration of what we do and how we do it. You've already mentioned that in all your, in all your comments. And, 
And then, of course, you know, reform and revitalization. Right? You, again, you've, you've both talked about this. You're beginning to change the way you do things, whether it's as practitioners or educators. I know on the other side, we're not talking about it today, but the research side, yeah. it's going to have a huge impact in the research mission. I think we're going to have a large generation of uh, microbiologists, immunologists, and infectious diseases yeah. people coming along. Uh, that may not have been the case before, uh, before COVID-19. So um, I think those longer-term those longer term effects are definitely going to be in play and and your leadership will be an essential part of you know realizing all the opportunity and that and that change we have a we have a few minutes left and i want to turn the attention to both of you um, i think uh, indeed i think our our uh, viewers and listeners would be interested to hear a bit more about you as individuals, you, I mentioned, you know, Carol, decades of experience in healthcare leadership. Uh, Josh, you trained for years and years, you're double boarded and all of that. Um, and now suddenly here you are in, a, in a, a pandemic, literally a pandemic emergency that none of us anticipated at all. So um, I imagine this is a daily set of reflections on your part, but how do you reflect upon not simply the impacts this has had on your career, but your journey toward this moment, let alone the journey after this moment as you move move forward beyond COVID? Well, I'm relatively new in my role. Um, but you're not new to the hospital. Not new to the hospital. And that was exactly the point I was going to make is that, you know, I feel that Stony Brook is my home away from home. I spend more time at Stony Brook than I do at home. and She does. <laughs> yes, we know that's yes. a yes. fact. She does. Yes. But I have to say that the ex they are my extended family. The Stony Brook Medicine team is my extended family. I care deeply about each and every one of them. And as this has progressed, it's made me realize how tight-knit we are as a community. And I do believe that it was helpful for me to be able to have those relationships within the organization and to know that... Um, we have each other's back, we support each other, and we will do everything we can to get through this together, and we will, because we are resilient. Uh, so I do believe that that experience that I had and, and those human connections and those professional connections uh, are going to get us out on the other end of this, and, and I have great confidence in that. Um, in healthcare before COVID, there was a lot of conversation about resiliency, um, physician burnout, and keeping physicians and healthcare providers engaged in what they're doing. This is a crisis, this is a pandemic, and I've never felt more engaged professionally ever. Um, I have a background in public health before I went to medical school. Reaching back to the crevices of my brain and pulling those resources forward and and, and I, I think we all feel reinvigorated and we all feel um, a, a new focus on our mission as, as clinicians and as healthcare providers. And I think if nothing else, after COVID, we have a little bit more wind in our sails to continue this work and continue the collaboration that Carol's um, uh, championing, that we're all championing. Um, so professionally, I, you know, I got a call two weeks ago, hey, you want to oversee a field testing center with the DOH? Like, Sure. In a uh, parking lot. In a, in a parking lot. <laughs> and, and the juxtaposition, um, I grew up five minutes away. That parking lot used to have a carnival in it every summer. <laughs> and I used to go there in the 80s. And now we're, we're testing for a virus. Um, that, that 
this whole experience, I think, is allowing uh, folks involved in healthcare to be reminded of our mission. Um, and I think that journey will continue and that story will continue to be told. Um, and I think people always look back to what they did during this crisis. And, and I think for me personally, um, it'll continue to uh, fuel my passion for caring for patients and helping the community. And I think we're all feeling that now. It's, it, you know, very moving and powerful statements by you both. I, I, I'm struck listening to you. I mean, so many things about this emergency that are unique and, and startlingly new. Uh, but one of them is the global nature of this emergency. You know, uh, we think about 9-11. I mean, there were global dynamics involved in 9-11, but the tragedy of 9-11 was focused in New York, Washington, D.C., and rural Pennsylvania. I mean, uh, we think about, in, in my experience, Hurricane Katrina, and that was the Gulf Coast of the United States. This emergency is everywhere, and it will continue to be everywhere. And it's, so there's an interesting dynamic in this that we've talked about how the community is pulling together around Stony Brook Medicine and, and the Stony Brook University Hospital and our affiliated hospitals. And, of course, that's true. But it's also about global communities pulling together, trying to share information, share practices and, and uh, details about, about response, what's worked and what hasn't worked. I think... One of the things I'm hearing from you both is that these lessons about coming together, community engagement, um, maybe that'll be one of the lasting impacts here, that for Stony Brook Medicine and for the University Hospital and our affiliated hospitals and uh, the practice plan, you know, we can remain engaged with the community because uh, hopefully <laughs> there won't be another pandemic anytime near in our future, but there are always going to be public health issues. And I think uh, we're learning we're learning in the United States today that um, disorganized or devolved approaches to public health aren't effective. They, we, need, we need integrated and systemic approaches to public health. And it's a, it's a tough lesson to learn on, on very harsh circumstances, under very harsh circumstances now. But it'll probably be one of the most powerful lessons of this, of this crisis. Um, we have a moment. Um, any concluding comments you want to share with our listeners and viewers and or with your own teams, who I, I know many of whom are watching or listening themselves? I just want to say I'm extraordinarily proud of our Stony Brook Medicine team. Every single person coming to work every single day, doing something that they never thought that they would be doing. And I'm eternally grateful to them. And I, I don't know how else to thank them other than to say thank you. And hopefully when this is over, I will be able to give everyone a hug. Yes, that's a, that's a good goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, that connectivity, I, I think, to continue that support of each other and not just the text messages and phone calls and emails that I've received from friends and family of late, but um, outside of healthcare, we have... Uh, families coming together and having conversations over dinner virtually that they've never had before. I think we need to do that as a community. We need to do that within healthcare and in the academic uh, community in which we live. Um, I have never felt more supported uh, professionally than I do now. I've never felt more supported in the community as I do now. And I, I just hope and pray that that will continue after COVID when this crisis is gone. Anything you want to say, Josh, to um, aspiring medical students, nursing students, you know, health technician students? Obviously, this is, a, this is a big moment in their lives in many respects, or even those who in middle school or high school are thinking about careers in, in healthcare. I've searched the last 10 plus years to find the clarity in why I 
went into medicine. And for me, this last week has provided that clarity. And I love what I do and I love my job and I love what it I do. It shows. <laughs> but, but the last week especially um, has provided that clarity. And to the middle school student who might consider going into medicine, becoming a nurse, a physician, a scientist, a researcher, um, man, go with it. We need you. We need you. We need you. Now more than ever, I think this crisis has proven we need you. Um, and, and know that you uh, will help. Uh, and, and that, to, you know, you go into medicine to help people. Well, the truth is we're really helping people right now. At least I hope we are. Um, I think that message is loud and clear. And so please, to the person in eighth grade thinking about <laughs> becoming a nurse or a physician or a healthcare administrator or a university president, help um, and, and continue that mission. Carol, anything you want to say uh, from the perspective of a, of a healthcare leader? For those who are aspiring to follow in I've, your footsteps? Well, you know, it's funny. I moved from working in the lab many years ago, right, so you, I was on the you bench. You started as a lab tech. Started as right? a lab tech. Yeah. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, could I really contribute positively in an administrative level? And you find that you can actually make broader decisions and that impact policy decisions that impact a broader community and, and patient population. So um, they are very important jobs. They do make a difference you can help to save lives by developing policy and working with a team and of the very important jobs. And we are going to need them in the future. We will, we will need them. You know, I'll, uh, I'll just offer a, a concluding comment here, uh, you know, listening to both of you and talking about the medical response to uh, this unprecedented pandemic and, you know, your inspired work, not only with your colleagues in the healthcare fields, but also with the, with community leadership. Uh, what's going on at Stony Brook is not unnoticed. I mentioned this in a senior administrative meeting that Carol was part of earlier this morning. Um, throughout the SUNY system, what's going on here is is noticed. Our colleagues on other campuses are noticing what we're doing. Certainly the senior SUNY leadership in Albany is noticing what we're doing. They're actively involved with what we're doing. They're on calls with us uh, constantly, of course. But it's it's being noticed nationally. I, I shared with the administrative team this morning uh, Spoke with the family uh, yesterday out on the West Coast, and uh, there had been a national story noting what was going on at Stony Brook. I think there might have been something about the face shields and uh, the 3D printing, yeah. uh, and that really impressed them. They, uh, you know, they were really struck by that. And I, I think the community, the community has always supported this university and has always supported Stony Brook Medicine, and uh, now. Uh, expects and indeed deserves to have the all of the things we're talking about in the way of response and engagement with them. And I, I would add, you know, in closing, um, we are an ongoing enterprise. Uh, we've been on spring break on the general campus. Uh, we're resuming instruction on Monday. The overwhelming proportion of that will be online, but we're resuming instruction. Uh, we're open for business. Uh, we're training our students. We look forward to them finishing their degrees on schedule. Uh, the faculty and staff have pulled together to ensure that outcome, too. We're trying to protect the research enterprise, too. We play a major economic as well as, you know, medical, social, uh, and community role here uh, on eastern Long Island. So I think what uh, an important message to share here, not only with respect to treating the sick and, and uh, giving them the care that they so desperately need in this pandemic, is that the university is serving the public that created it in the first place and has every reason to expect us to be there on the front lines doing our best. So I, I salute both of you. You're, a, you're two vivid examples of what uh, 
great leadership in Stony Brook Medicine is all about. And I wish you and your teams, you know, health, safety, and success in the work ahead and in the weeks ahead. And I want to thank our uh, our viewers and our listeners for joining us again for uh, another Beyond the Expected podcast. Thanks for being with us today. <laughs>